Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Doing well? Good, good, good. Um, for the two of you that answered, that's yes. okay. Um, good. Um, <laughs> at least every time like, you give an announcement, there's that joy box announcement. Uh, yeah, so there you go. So at least you get some feedback. With, like, you start a message out, and you're like, wow, okay. So that's what kind of day it's going to be. All right. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's good to be here with you all. Uh, welcome online, those of you that are joining and worshiping with us. Um, yeah, we are continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark, like Dave said, talking about spiritual rhythms of Jesus, following Jesus in the way of Jesus. And today I want to talk about uh, sharing good news. And I think that's really important for us to really gr- get a grasp on what is the good news of Jesus. Because we live in such a, a cynical world, uh, a world that has put its hope in a lot of other things that have let them down. Um, that People are looking, and, and maybe you've experienced that for your own life too, where you looked and you've longed for a deeper meaning, a dip, deeper purpose, and you've put your hopes in relationships or maybe a job or maybe stuff. I mean, in, we, we live in a skeptical world because that is promised to us 24-7. I mean, think about... Uh, think about the advertising that you scroll past on a daily basis just get to get to the next Instagram picture, you know? Like, you're just, like, minding your own business, trying to see how people are designing their living rooms, like, what throw pillows you need to be, like, up with things right now, or, you know, are we doing skinny jeans? No, that's out, so we're doing wide leg jeans. How much longer? Like, and then you get ads for it, and they're promising you a happier life if you buy the product, right? Or, like, how many times have you experienced boredom? You're just trying to watch your, your YouTube video or Hulu or whatever, and you've got to wait the five excruciating seconds of advertising, right, till you can click skip. And all that time, someone's promising you, if you watch this, if you buy this, if you, if you, do the, if you drive this, you're going to be happy. And we know, we know, I just have to put up with this and get to the next thing because I think we know that that's not gonna actually give us true happiness, but there's a part of us that like is longing for that. And the more we buy into that and the more we, we tie our hope to those things, they're gonna let us down and, and it perpetuates the cycle of cynicism and skepticism. So our culture is skeptical while it's all already cynical. It's a hopeless culture we live in. And so we need to look to, the, to, to Jesus to understand what is the good news that he really promises. Is it really that good of news to get our hopes up? We've got our hopes up on all sorts of other things. Can we really tie our hope to Jesus in all the ways we really want to let down our guard and open our hearts and enter into that kind of hopefulness, right? Because otherwise, we're just given to the world and all its hype and all its letdowns. Because it could never truly touch that which we were created to enjoy together with God. So let's turn to the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to have it up here on the screen. You can also turn on your device or if you have a paper Bible, uh, open up to Mark chapter 5. This is the story of Jesus as he goes and he preaches. He's an itinerant preacher. He's a teacher, a rabbi. And he goes around uh, the area that he was born in, and, and he kind of uh, uh, expands out a bit. But he goes around, and he's teaching in all these different 
areas and he comes across a place called uh, the Gadarenes or there's various names for it uh, in, in the scriptures. Uh, it's just known as different things. He gets out of this boat and immediately when he gets out of the boat, there's a man who is demon demonized, demon possessed. He's influenced by evil and overtaken by it. And he sees Jesus and he cries out um, that, that he's the son of God. He knows that Jesus is the son of God. These, these even the, the demons in him or, or affecting him recognize who Jesus is. And they want to know, what have you come to do? Have you come to torment us? Have you come to, to, to mess with us and our control we have over this man? This man, he's so demonized and he, they have to keep him under, under chain in a cave outside of the city because they can't control him. And he's cutting himself and it's just a really terrible uh, mental, emotional, spiritual health uh, crisis that he's having. And so this man comes and he, and he falls at the feet of Jesus and Jesus uh, uh, speaks to these demons and, and interacts with them a bit. And it's kind of an unusual story, honestly, for our kind of Western American minds, understanding like, what, what is going on here? Is this like normal uh, for us? Like, are we, are we gonna be doing this sort of stuff? And, and so it's this really, really unique and unusual situation. And, and so Jesus interacts with them and then he casts them into a herd of pigs and the herd of pigs go running over the cliff and drown. Now, there's a lot to unpack here that we are not going to get to today, but you just have to know that, that these people, like, they're Jews raising pigs. Like, this isn't the most godly of areas that he's in, right? Because uh, pigs were unclean animals to Jews. They were not to touch or eat pork whatsoever, but they have a, a pig farm, and, and then Jesus messes with their way of life and their sustenance and, and their sense of success. And as these pigs go, and he's, he, he cleanses not only this man's life, but also the area. And so as you can imagine, they're a little bit freaked out and they're a little bit ticked off that Jesus messes with their small, they're just entrepreneurs. They're just small business owners. And Jesus comes and he totally wrecks it, right? So in uh, uh, these next verses, it says, those tending the pigs, ran off and reported that they, they went and tattled to the business owners, right? They went, uh, reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They're like, oh no, this, this is not good news for us. We don't know what to make of this. The, you know, Frank over here now is like, he, he seems normal. We're not how to, sure how to interact with him anymore. They're afraid. Uh, then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Isn't that interesting that Jesus had like such a miraculous impact that freaked them out and they begged him to actually leave? There, there are some instances where the power of God shows up and people actually close their lives off to it because their hope had been in something else. Their, their sense of success and purpose and meaning and, and security had been in something else and Jesus messed with that and they go, no, we don't want you here. It's interesting to me. <clears throat> As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man, now check this out, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. Jesus was not about this, this fast growth mentality. He says to this guy, um, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell all the Decapolis, this is like an area of 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Jesus, Jesus has a one-step deliverance process. It's quite amazing, right? Like, like, I was once blind, but now I can see. 
And, and what we see here is Jesus not only freeing people, but empowering them to go spread his message, his good news. Don't join me. Go and tell your family. Go and tell your friends. Go and tell these cities all the good things the Lord has done for you. It's like Jesus is like, tag, you're it. You, you have been the recipient of this message, this good news. You have, you have experienced the power of God, and now it's your turn to go. Now, what's interesting is to share the good news, he didn't do like a week-long equipping program. The early church did not have an evangelistic program. They had a, I encountered Jesus. I was messed up. I didn't realize how messed up I am. He loves me. He set me free, and now he sent me to tell you. That's the, that's the program. It's just, I encountered God and I want you to know about him and all of his goodness. I want him to do for you what he's done for me. We see this continued on in Mark uh, chapter six, the very next chapter in verse six. Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. He began to send them out two by two and give them authority over impure spirits. The same power he had had over darkness He then empowers them. He imparts to them that same power. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. And they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So Jesus gets really practical in his instructions for those that, that are following him and now that he turns and, and sends out. He wants them to trust God for their provision. They're not supposed to take extra. They're, they're, they're supposed to lean into the grace of God as it works through the people that they minister to. And they're supposed to stay in one house. They're not supposed to like look for a, a, an upgrade on their, their, their uh, living conditions. They're not lo- supposed to land at this house, you know, this Airbnb, and then this one's going to be even much you know, bigger and, and cheaper. And, oh, look, we got an upgrade. Like stay in one place, hunker down, and watch the power of God and the grace of God go, go forth uh, uh, in your midst. Now, he does warn them that not everyone is going to be open to the message. We, we've seen that even in the life of Jesus, as we just previously mentioned. Jesus tells them, if anybody's close to this message, don't take it personally, but shake off the dust of your feet. It's a, it's a Jewish practice that when they would travel to pagan lands or Gentile lands, pagan wasn't really this derogatory term. It was just the term, it was just a noun. Uh, uh, these, these Gentile lands, when they came back to Israel, they were supposed to shake off the dust of their feet. Like they were not supposed to intermingle with, with uh, idolatry and the worship of false gods. And so they're doing the same thing. Uh, symbolically, they're supposed to shake off the dust of their feet and, and let the, 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 the waywardness of their hearts, uh, of those people's hearts, that's on them to figure out with God. You are to move on in your mission and on your journey. So the message that Jesus prepares his followers to share is summarized by Luke as repent. Did you get that? Like, they went through and they preached the gospel saying that everyone, people should repent. Now, the question is, as we share good news about Jesus, does that mean we stand up with bullhorns and call out to Aggieville citizens, repent? Or is there something, I think, more in that word that we can actually dig into in, in the gospels and even in the early church? What, what does repent mean and how do we carry that same message as God sends us out to share his good news? 
Um, I think that's important, and I've been on a journey myself. So when I came uh, to Jesus, I was 23, and uh, a campus minister shared, kept sharing faith with me, and, and finally my, all my you know, college debauchery uh, caught up with me, and I repented big time after an arrest and uh, that whole you know, thing. And so um, a couple months later, though, after I, I surrendered my life to Jesus, I, I went to a, a, another college friend who was a believer, and I said, hey, I was led to the Lord, uh, I prayed a prayer. Where's that prayer in the Bible? Like, can you show me the sinner's prayer? You know, Jesus, I, I repent of my sin. I accept you as Lord and Savior, and I'll follow you all the days of my life. Like, where is that in the Bible? Because I want to be equipped to share the gospel with other people. Um, and he was really awkward that, that when I asked him that question. Because as you know, as, if you grew up in the church, that sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. That kind of summation of the good news of Jesus. Now, I'm not against that. I've... I've led people through the sinner's prayer from this stage. I led both of my sons to invite Jesus into their heart through a sinner's prayer. I'm not against that. What, but what we have to understand is the way we share the good news is often um, it, it, it's, it, there, there comes with sometimes cultural baggage and people can share the gospel in different ways. The, the issue is when we moralize our way of doing it and say you're doing it wrong when you do it that way and there's no one size fits all way to share the gospel. In fact, in fact, something really brilliant happened a couple days ago. If you've seen this YouTube clip or just this clip going around on social media, Dua Lipa was on Stephen Colbert, okay? If you don't know who those people are, just, just check in with Jesus and tell him you love him, okay? But anyway, so Dua Lipa asked Stephen Colbert on his late night show, I wonder, you talk about your faith and you talk about your humor, how do those two things interact? And what he did in the next few minutes was really unpack the gospel in a, in a really contextualized way in, a way, in a way that his viewers and Dua Lipa could understand. It was really beautiful. He, he named Jesus and he talked about how death is, there's hope beyond death. Death is not the last thing that we have to deal with. It was beautiful. Now, the, the thing is, some people that are looking for judgment and hell and, and repentance and, and rebuke every time the gospel is shared is, are really disappointed and say that, that Stephen Colbert did not share the gospel. But what I would say and, and what we're going to go through is the gospel is it, there is a clear message of what that gospel is, but it can show up and it can be taught and it can be said in a variety of ways, and if we just hunker down and say, this is the way once and for all to share the gospel, again, the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. Use it, but don't be married to it, is my point, okay? And go watch that clip and see what you guys think. I'd be interested if you have thoughts about which, what he could have done better or what he did do. I just thought it was beautiful myself. So, let's get in. I want to talk for a moment about four gospels that sometimes we inadvertently believe that, that takes us away from the true gospel of Jesus, okay? So these four gospels that we end up uh, actually believing in our culture today. The first one is the gospel of self-help. This is the permission we give to each other when we say, speak your truth. As in, truth has a perspective that everybody has their own truth. Or you do you, basically. If it feels right, do it. It must be true. So it feels right to you. The good news is you can just go do that. You have permission to be you in this culture because, you know, YOLO, you only live once and there's FOMO and 
There's fear of missing out and all the other acronyms that I can't even keep up with. So there you go. But this isn't just for granola-eating, chakra-focusing people. You hear it said when people say, yeah, I was once, I fell in love with my wife, and then now I've fallen out of love with her, and so I'm going to go look for someone else who's more compatible. That's living from your own truth. That's, that's uh, uh, giving up on the responsibility of the covenant of marriage and centering yourself in all the stories and saying, if I, if I like it, it must be good. If I don't like it, it must be bad. And I, in this culture today, I must avoid all bad things because it gets in the way of me being my truest self, okay? It's a therapeutic, moralistic deism where God exists to make me happy and make my dreams come true so I can live my best self and uh, uh, be my best self and live my best life. So that's a false gospel that we end up believing in in our culture. The second one is this, the gospel of social progress. It's good news that's hoped for, that trusts in the advancement of knowledge, science, and technology to bring about a utopia on earth where we all live in peace and harmony with one another. Uh, Usually it involves sipping soy lattes and eating impossible burgers because we've all gone vegan, right? So the highest fidelity to this, that was a joke, you guys. We live in Kansas, beef, it's what for dinner. I'm, I'm okay with that, all right. It's what's for lunch too, it's sometimes breakfast. Okay, highest fidelity to this gospel is to make sure everything is equitable for all, no matter the cost, and we blame anyone who questions this as being backwards in their progress and Neanderthalic in their thinking. Often the, the state's course of power is involved at the expense of some personal rights, and those are demanded to ensure underprivileged groups are empowered and preferred above others. But the result of this is what pastor and author Mark Sayers calls the kingdom without the king. Meaning we want the utopia of all the blessedness and grace without actually having to surrender to the leadership of Jesus. Okay? So here in the Midwest, I think we're, if you grew up in the church and in certain expressions of the church, you're highly attuned to sniffing those two gospels out. You see it in our world and you go, yeah, that's not quite right. I'm not buying that. Jesus is Lord, right? Now, these next two aren't as easy to ferret out because sometimes they're just the culture in which we grew up in. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push on some things and just know I want to be gracious and charitable and as gentle as I can be, but I have to be really clear Because we want everything that is a false gospel, that takes us away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be highlighted so we are aware of how we may have embraced it even unknowingly. How it maybe has been passed on to us through the church we grew up with or our parents or family. We want to be aware of this and how it may take us away from fidelity to Jesus himself, okay? So the uh, the third one is the gospel of Americanism. So this, this gospel says that despite all our problems, which are usually glossed over, America is the world's best hope. It's really actually interesting to go throughout history and look at presidential speeches and how often both, both Republican and Democrat refer to America as the world's best and last hope. You should do that for an exercise to know that I'm not making this up. This is a thing where we think America is God's kingdom on earth, right? Remember, we've had politicians and presidents say that America is the shining city on a hill, basically co-opting the language from the kingdom of God and the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus uses. That, guys, is idolatry, really. 
Even though it may, like, I, I, lo- I do love living in this country with freedom of worship and the freedom to gather and freedom to share our faith. The freedom, if we wanted to, to stand in the middle of Aggieville and preach the gospel. I do love that about America. But when we take all the other elements of what makes America, America, you know, democracy and capitalism and freedom and, and say that that is the kingdom, guys, there, there are challenges that Jesus has directly to that, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, Okay. So because America is the best, we can't allow it to be diluted by foreigners or strangers. We actually go against the, uh, give us your, your, the huddled masses, the poor that, that uh, was, was ingrained in the founding of our country. We actually leave that by the wayside because we've got to keep the American way. Oftentimes there's a committed culture war for the soul of America, whatever that actually means. I haven't quite figured out what the soul of America is. We live in Kansas, which is like the heart and the breadbasket. Are we the soul of America? I'm not quite sure sure what we're fighting about to maintain, right? And then Christianity often is wed to a conservative moment that prom, movement, excuse me, that promises a return to a golden moment of the past where respect and family values were embraced, although we can't ever actually pinpoint when that golden age existed for everyone everywhere in our country according to the ways of Jesus. So fourthly, okay, take a breath. Fourthly, okay, I think that was the tough one. Well, maybe not, I don't know, we'll see. The fourth one is what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management. He coined this term and he wrote about its pervasiveness specifically in evangelicalism in the West, where all that's required is that we pray a prayer once so that we can go to heaven when we die. It's basically a get out of hell free card that we pull, okay? There are many subsets of this. So there's, I mean, there are a lot of flavors of the gospel of sin management that, that pervade many streams of Christianity. Uh, one of which is revivalism that whips up an emotional frenzy uh, for a conversion experience or the hyper-reform stream that receives, it's all of God's grace. God does everything for us, but it's very ungracious towards other people. Uh, I, I, I we find out. Um, the result of the gospel of sin management is that there lacks serious spiritual formation. It's, it allows converts to remain immature throughout their lifetime. It's all of grace. We don't want any effort on our part because God has to do it all. And I find that that just sticks us in uh, this, this rut of spiritual immaturity so that we don't love other people. So we're not grown up in our faith. We actually spent the summer going through uh, emotionally healthy dis- discipleship where we actually talked about the deeper need to, to be in healthy internally, specifically in our mental and emotional health so that we holistically grow up into mature believers mature apprentices of Jesus, the gospel of sin management would say that you're just working too hard for your own salvation. And we would say, no, along with Willard, the gospel and God's grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. But this is always, that always needs an effort put forth. There is a response that is required as we follow Jesus. If you're not walking with Jesus, you're probably not actually following Jesus practically in your everyday life. There's also a lack of motivation to be involved in the works of biblical justice beyond efforts that would improve our own um, personal comfort, quite frankly. This whole thing is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. It's an easy believism gospel that requires nothing from the hearer in response and doles us to God's spirit while uh, rooting us in our own comfort and promising and telling us that's Christianity. So I imagine that as you hear these, 
uh, there's some that may feel relief, like, Ooh, I grew up in that, and, and I came to understand how deficient that is from the true gospel of Jesus. And I would imagine that this touches on some tender spots, and there might even be some anger, and, and that's okay. I think, you know, God re- offends the heart to reveal the mind. Um, you know, someone said somewhere before the truth sets you free, it pisses you off. Like, we just need to be confronted with the gospel of Jesus so that we can be open-handed and let these other things fall by the wayside. Don't hear me say that these things are all bad, that in their deficiency, they're, they're all defunct and shouldn't be, like there's good things in social progress, making sure women can vote. And we, we uh, 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 you know, uh, make discrimination and, and racism illegal. Like that's, those are good things. Um, even the gospel of sin management has led people to Jesus and out of their sin. So don't, don't hear that I'm saying it's an all or nothing thing. What I'm saying is we need to tease them apart so we can actually discern what Jesus would invite us into fully in our lives. Okay, it's an invitation. The message of Jesus is true and applicable for us is for us right now as it is for everyone hearing it for the first time. It's an invitation to repent in the words of the apostles and of Jesus to leave behind our false beliefs and turn fully to Jesus as we follow him. So, with that, the question then becomes, well, what is the gospel of Jesus? What is the good news that we are to believe, to enter into, and to share with other people? And so if we look at the book of Acts, if we look at the early church, right? So that's, what did they preach as they're inviting people into church community to free themselves of evil, to be freed of evil. No one frees themselves, obviously. But to enter into a life that's abundant that Jesus promised. So in Acts 2, again, I'll have it up on the screen here. You can turn to it. This is Peter on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church. The Spirit has come. People are really confused because they're hearing the gift of tongues. They're hearing the gospel in their own language. And Peter, emboldened by this same Holy Spirit, stands up and he says this. In Acts 2.22, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from God the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what's interesting is there's a lot, again, to unpack here. You hear this, repent and believe, repent and enter into God's kingdom, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit when you do so. Now, this phrase, um, uh, uh, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, is itself a big idea that they continue to develop. And so in the very next chapter of Acts, 
he talks a little bit more about what receiving the gift of the Spirit is like and what we can expect as a part of the gospel. So he says this in Acts 3, 19. Again, Peter stands up, boldly proclaims the gospel, and says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So for Peter and the other disciples, the good news is the story of Jesus. Jesus is the good news, right? If you don't like Jesus, you won't like heaven. The gospel is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, right? It's who he is as the son of God, his death and resurrection, and his bodily return to restore God's kingdom on the earth. That's the gospel. It isn't a gospel of self-fulfillment or progress. It's his kingdom and repentance is the doorway that we enter into it through Jesus. And there must be a response by everyone who enters, specifically baptism that connects us to the community of God where we work together to see his kingdom advance in all the nations of the earth starting in our very own. That's the gospel that the apostles preached. You'll notice if you believe in a a gospel that is pray this prayer, avoid hell and judgment and you'll be saved. He doesn't actually preach hell in this specific instance. But he also doesn't preach capitalism and democracy. And he certainly doesn't preach, believe this and your life is gonna be easy because God's gonna bless you. That would be like so not understandable. The, the gospel that says take up your cross, believe in a God that died a bodily death, was resurrected, and he is coming back bodily to set up his kingdom on earth. And as you follow him and his kingdom expands in your midst, as you join yourself to Christian community to do just that, understand there are good days and there are bad days, and Jesus is in the midst of every single one of them. That's the gospel. And so I know if you grew up thinking maybe one of these other gospels, you read Acts, it doesn't make any sense doesn't make any sense to what you've heard growing up, maybe, or what you have been believing. But I'm telling you, I just want Jesus. I want his kingdom. And I want every lie that promises me good news to be torn down in my heart. That's what we want, right? Now, the thing is, you might be sitting there and going, okay, I know it's coming. Josh is going to tell us to go preach the gospel. But I hate public speaking. I'm not gifted as an evangelist. There's no way I can stand up and do what Peter did. I got you. I got you, okay? The thing is, sharing the good news of Jesus doesn't always look the same. And it's not for extra special holy people to do in certain instances. You don't need a microphone and you don't need a stage to share the gospel. Uh, Going back to Acts 2, here's how they shared the gospel in everyday life. Not, Not just Peter and the apostles, but the everyday believers. Here's what they did in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's the the big group meetings like this. And then they broke bread in their homes. Remember when Jesus told a guy, go home and share the good news with your family? The early church took him seriously, that the spread of the gospel, yes, happens in big group meetings, but more frequently, more likely, as we share life together in our homes. 
They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you do this? Absolutely. What I find is that actually uh, commentators look at the gospel of Luke and say that Jesus is either at a meal, coming from a meal, or going to a meal. Basically ate his way through the gospels. It's amazing, right? So can you preach the gospel? Would you have a table? Or you could be like Jesus and just invite yourself over. That'd be okay too, I think. So here's what Tim Chester says in A Meal with Jesus. How would you complete, he's gonna take us to school a little bit and then make a point, okay? How would you complete the sentence, quote, the son of man came. The son of man came preaching the word to establish the kingdom of God, to die on the cross. Perhaps the question for us is more revealing if we make it what we should go. We should go, and how do we think about preaching the gospel a lot? This ties back to our, our, our non-gospel gospels. We should go campaign for political change. Nothing wrong with that, not necessarily the gospel. Preach on street corners, that can be okay too. Make the most of new media, adapt to a culture we wanna reach. There are three ways the New Testament completes the sentence, the son of man came. First, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many in Mark. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost in Luke. And the Son of Man came, has come eating and drinking, again in Luke. The first two are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? He came to serve, to give his life as a ransom, to seek and save the lost. The third is a statement of method. How did Jesus come? He came eating and drinking. The Jews of Jesus' day would have said the Son of Man will come to vindicate the righteous and defeat God's enemies. They didn't expect him to come to seek and save the lost. And they would have said that the Son of Man will come in glory and power. They would never have said he would come come eating and drinking. But Jesus spent his time eating and drinking a lot of his time. He was a party animal. His mission... Now, don't give all sorts of license to yourself to be stupid about that, okay? You can ask me about how I've been stupid about that, okay? We're gonna move on now. He was a party animal. His mission strategy was a long meal stretching into the evening. He did evangelism and discipleship round a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. Now, this can seem somewhat weird and gross if the idea is I'm gonna invite people over and say, hey, would you like to buy some Tupperware? Or, you know, that kind of sense of like, I'm here to sell you something. Or, you know, hey, pass the potatoes. Hey, where would you end up for all of eternity if you died tonight? Like, that's such a weird bait and switch that some of us have, have grown up in that culture trying to teach us to do that. Um, and yet Jesus was constantly sharing the good news of the kingdom of God. He shows us it's about opening up your life and your heart while you welcome in those who might be on the margins of your life and even on the margins of the kingdom, whether they grew up outside the church or they've been hurt by the church and swore it off forever. This means a life of fewer gospel tracts and more gospel relationships. It's less bullhorns and more bagels and beignets. Can you do that? It's brunch, y'all. Jesus spread the gospel through brunch. I love it. So you might also be thinking here, do I have to know everything about the Bible to share the gospel? Do I have to believe everything in the Bible to share the gospel? And what do I, I would say is no. Like start where you are and start with Jesus. 
Start with, I once was blind, but now I see. There's a lot of theological debates that if you try and get in the middle of those and figure all those out, it will probably discourage you before you ever open your mouth and open your home. I'm not saying those are bad or wrong. I'm saying that the gospel of the kingdom is simple. It's that Jesus came because he loved us so much and he gave his life for us to make us part of his family forever. And he's coming back soon to set up his kingdom on earth. And in the midst of that time, in the midst of waiting on him to do that, he's said, tag your it to us, his family, his church. Lance Ford and Alan Hirsch in one of their books says that if every Christian family in the world simply offered good conversational hospitality around a table once a week to neighbors, we would eat our way into the kingdom of God. Amen and amen to that. So I'm gonna have the worship team come on up. And so I have, every week we've been giving you a practice to connect with what we're learning from the gospel of Mark. And I would really encourage you not, not, to, not to overwhelm yourself with these expectations. Really start where you are. And we really mean that. So in, in the practice of sharing good news, start where you are. So there's a beginning practice that I would commend to you. Maybe if you're just starting out on this journey of wanting to embody and, and share good news, read through the book of Acts and pay attention to how apprentices to Jesus shared good news about him. Notice how they spoke of him to different people in different ways, connecting with them relationally and then sharing Jesus, okay? That's a beginning practice, a baseline practice. We would love to get everyone in our church community uh, practicing this on a regular basis is to join a group to join community, to embody the gospel, the good news in everyday life. And then a stretch, a stretch practice, a stretch goal for many of us would be maybe inviting someone over for a meal or out to coffee and then asking them simply about their spiritual history and then listening. That's it. That's what you have to do. That is sharing the gospel, sharing good news in everyday life. Okay? Why don't you stand with us? I'd love to pray for you. And then our worship team is going to lead us in uh, some more songs as we worship God. So bow your heads if you would. So Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for your good news. God, we thank you that you did come near when we were so far away. We thank you for the forgiveness that you've extended to us. We thank you that you have wiped clean our sin. The slate is clean, and it's clean every day we turn to you. Every day we repent and turn with our hearts to you and away from our old and fallen selves. So God, be here with us. And, and if you would just keep your eyes closed and if you're online, just find a, find a place where you can dial in and focus on God. This may be an opportunity that if you've either walked away from God, maybe, there's a, maybe you recognize one of these false gospels has actually taken you away from Jesus. And this is a moment to turn to him fully with your heart to say, I want you, Jesus, and I want only you. And maybe you're here today and you don't even know where you stand with God, but something's tugging on your heart and you just know, I can't leave until I know that this is true for me. So I'm gonna lead us in a prayer and that's okay. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer, but I'm gonna trust that your hearts are engaged with what I'm saying and that you'll take the next, next steps that God has for you to walk with him, to apprentice Jesus. So Jesus, I believe in you. You can just pray this out loud or in your heart. Jesus, I believe in you that you are the son of God, that you are the leader of my life. Forgive me for my sin. I turn fully to you. 
Please give me the gift of your Holy Spirit and keep me close to you all the days of my life. Amen. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.